Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on, I guess, again, I guess we're just going to call this the Basement Podcast for right now because we've got no other real names for the show. We're just kind of just doing it as it goes on right now, and I know this is, this is well, I know, not everybody else knows, but this will get released on Monday. I am actually recording this at 10.06 Sunday night, I'm actually heading up to Cedar Falls tomorrow morning, Monday, April 27th. So I thought I'd do the recording tonight just so I could get somewhat of a show out. Have a lot to talk about in this show, and I wanted to get it done. I didn't want to skip a show till Wednesday. So I'm going to do the show tonight. And we are just, just after episodes three and four of The Last Dance. If you don't know what The Last Dance is, uh, I don't I don't know what your problem is. It's uh, the the Bulls documentary. A lot of people just call it the Michael Jordan documentary, which is which is reasonable, I guess. It's the uh, the Bulls team, but the Bulls team was Michael Jordan, so it's it's realistic to see why you would think that it's just a Michael Jordan documentary. But it is about the entire Chicago Bulls team from usually it's. When it first started, it looked like it was just going to be from the 97-98 season, the last dance, what the season was called. That's what everybody knew it as. That's what Phil Jackson, well, not everybody, but Phil Jackson considered the season the last dance, the last time these guys would all be going for the same cause together of an NBA championship. Because Jerry Cross, the start of the season, for those of you who don't know, said that Phil Jackson go 82-0. He is not getting his job back. That is insane to me. That is insane to me to think about. I know we talked about this last Monday when we came back and did the Logan Blackman show, but that's just crazy to think about. Why would you end something right after they won a champ? Why not have make, not let make someone take it from you? Not just fold and go, yeah, we're bringing in Tim Floyd from Iowa State. We're releasing the greatest coach of all time. Uh, We already know because... The greatest player of all time said that if Phil Jackson's gone, I'm gone. So that's great. So, yeah, we're just going to basically fold until whenever. Because my ego's so big that I need to prove that I'm the main reason why I made this team. And that's coming from Jerry Krause. So, yeah, Jordan's gone. Phil's gone. Scotty's gone. Rodman's gone. Like, that's what that a lot of people just thought this would be the last season but it is the entirety of the Bulls. So you go like the first episode, there's a lot about Michael Jordan. It went all the way back to his past, like where he grew up, uh, high school, North Carolina, starting off with the Cocaine Bulls in the 80s. That was Episode one was about Jordan. Episode two focused heavily on Scottie Pippen, the greatest number two option in NBA history. I know some, a lot of people now will like to point to Kyrie Irving as being one of the greatest number twos of all time. Um, Clay Thompson gets thrown in there with KD or Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, uh, Kobe when Shaq was there, definitely not when Shaq left, but when Shaq was there, Kobe was the number two. It's Kobe and Shaq. Kobe was the number two. Shaq was one of the NBA finals. They had to prove that they could win without each other. Kobe did that. They did it now. Kobe would be the main guy, but you know, that's the story in episode three, which was tonight. And so was episode four. We'll start with episode three. First was mostly about Dennis Rodman, the worm. For those of you who do not know Dennis Rodman, the greatest rebounding power forward of all time. 
He had, what was it, 10, 20 games in his career where he scored 10-plus rebounds and zero points? Or was it something crazy? I can't. It flashed on the screen for a little bit, and I can't remember if it was 20 straight games with 20 rebounds or 20 games with 20 rebounds and zero points or 10 rebounds, zero points. Either way, it's something crazy. Rebounding and defense. That was Dennis Rodman on the basketball court. <laughs> the Dennis Rodman off the basketball court was a completely different animal. And if you knew anything about this Bulls team or just NBA history in general, you knew Dennis Rodman was a weird person off the court. Not a bad person. Not a bad person. Didn't cause any problems up with his teammates. His teammates loved him. For anything you can gather about where Dennis Rodman was, none of his teammates could say anything bad about him. Listen to Michael talk about him. Listen to Scotty talk about him. Isaiah Thomas, uh, I, Joe Dumars. You listen to these people talk about him. They love him. He's just a very wild, anti-centric guy off the court. And that didn't really happen until the instant with the car and the shotgun right outside the Pistons Arena. I can't remember if it was the Silver Dome or the Palace of Auburn Hills at the time. I remember hearing about this when Dennis Rodman had a 30 for 30. And I heard about it and they brought it up again tonight. And that's where kind of Dennis was, okay, now I'm a new person now. And that's where the wildest centric version of Dennis Rodman came out. And boy, it makes for some hilarious stories. You see the people Dennis Rodman, my sister, uh, to her credit, could care less about basketball. She really actually doesn't like basketball, to be honest. But she has sat down and watched episode one, two, three, and part of four with me and my dad, or my dad and I. And she goes... Dennis Rodman is not an attractive person. You look at some of the people Dennis Rodman went out with, and they notified, they, this was one of the people they brought up in there. Carmen Electra was one of the people he went out with. And man, I don't know how, to, well, I know how one of the reasons Dennis Rodman got Carmen Electra. He's famous. He's rich. That's probably a big reason why he has a good personality. Rodman's a very likable figure. And went out with Madonna as well. And Carmen Electra, by the way, still looking good at whatever age she is, because I don't really know what age she is, but she's still looking good to this day. But Rodman, the Vegas story, that was, he, I saw Donovan Mitchell tweet this, he invented load management. <laughs> Dennis Rodman invented load management. Asking for 48 hours to go to Vegas, and Jordan put it best. You ain't going to get this guy back in 48 hours. Jordan knew. Jordan's not stupid. You're like, you're going to get this guy. <laughs> he's going to leave. You ain't getting him back in 48 hours. I don't care what he say. What he says, you ain't getting him back in 48 hours. And then ESPN did the time ch chart thing of counting down, counting up the 48 hours. And then <laughs> the, un like the gone with, with bulls permission. And then the, hours gone without bulls permission it goes all the way up to the 90s near the hundreds and he goes to practice and he comes in with the pajamas the slippers and all that stuff and then as they're still talking about him coming back from vegas and they're talking about him getting back in shape it brought back one of my one of my most deep rooted memories one of my least favorite memories from johnston middle school football and my roommate steven We've talked about this numerous times throughout the years because there were just something that it's looking back at it. It just sucked there. It's not fun doing these at all. They were called Indian runs. I can't remember what they called them during the, the show 
They call I think they called them something a little bit different. But Indian runs is what we called them. And essentially, for those of you who do not know, if you didn't watch The Last Dance or you just don't know in general, is where the team lines up and they start running. And it goes from the pace of the guy in the front. So if the person that the guy is walking, then you're, the rest of the group is walking. And whenever the coach blows the whistle, <sighs> I can't really whistle that well. So just imagine a coach whistling. The player in the back runs up to the front and changes the pace. In football, though, we ran around the practice field, right, which was right behind the away section at the old Johnson Middle School. The old 8-9 building at Johnston, which is now the high school. But around the away section, that's where we would run. And there was no whistle. It was just whenever the person that was in the back got to the front, the next person went. Because the football team is a lot bigger than a basketball team. There's about 12, I think a max 15 players on an active basketball roster in the NBA. There's max 53 in the NFL. And in high school and college, there's even more because you can't cut them. And especially in high school. I don't remember how many kids we had on this team, but it was it was quite a few. So it wasn't very fun when you were in last and you had to run all the way to the front. And like Jordan said in the documentary, I'm getting caught up in Rodman's Get Back in Shape program. And we're going to have a run. So he told everybody, you guys better go at walking speed pretty much. But whenever Dennis got to the front, it'd take him four laps to catch up with him. Because again, that last person in line has to ca- has to get up to the front of the line. And that's where the pace changes. So if the person in front sprints, the rest of the group has to sprint until that person in the back catches up with the person that was in front. Where the person's walking, you can just do a light jog up to the front, change the pace a little bit. So you always hated when that guy would do that. But respect to Rodman trying to get back in shape after being gone for God knows how many hours in Las Vegas, partying with Carmen Electra and people like that. But it's, I hated Indian runs. I think a lot of people that played football can attest to that and bad just sports in general. If you had to do Indian runs, you are not, you do not have pleasant memories of those. And if you're one of those freaks that likes running, in football pants, to, to, to say the least, I do not like you. I'm not a fan of you. You hurt my feelings. That You think that those are fun. Those were the least fun things ever in football, in sports in general. I never did them in any other sport, and I never did them past, <laughs> past eighth grade football, but it sucked. <laughs> it was miserable. Why was that a thing? Why were that? Why was that? I never did that prior to that year. I never did it after that year. I didn't do it in any other sport. I played multiple sports growing up. I played football. I played. Well, I played is a weird word, but I played basketball. I played soccer. Um, I ran track at this time in sports, which I guess was just running anyway. So technically, I was kind of doing Indian runs anyways, but whatever I never did that in any other sport and I didn't really wasn't really thinking about him until my roommate Steven randomly brings him up but then this was another example like oh my god uh, these were terrible and I agree with Jordan if I got caught up in somebody's get back in shape program I'd be preaching to the rest of my teammates hey you guys better go as slow as possible 
because we this is we're not the ones that need to get in shape. It's dude in the back that's been gone for over a hundred hours that needs to get back in shape. We don't need to do the running. That's his job, but we're just getting caught up in it. But again, fair play to Rodman for doing the sprints. But I feel bad for that person that had to catch up to him, because that person had to get that person's responsible for getting the group to slow down again. So you got all the teammates yelling at him to catch up. You got his own will, like, I got to catch this guy. I can't do it. And then you got Rodman trying to get as far away from him as possible. There's this day. Nobody likes Dennis Rodman in those situations. But again, they all respect it. But that's, you see it. You go on Twitter. uh, Give us all 48 hours, please, from Big Cat. When you get the 48 hours from the Chicago Bulls with a picture of Dennis Rodman. It's just, it's just funny. (laughs) It's just funny. And yeah, it's just awesome. It's good work ethic better Robin. And everybody, like if you're a Chicago Bulls fan, you know, you get, especially if you grew up in the eighties, in the early nineties, watching the Bulls versus the Pistons, you knew you hated the Pistons. The Pistons were public enemy number one. The team the Bulls needed to beat, but just couldn't because they got beat the crap out of every single time, especially Michael Jordan. And the main person behind all of that, or one of the main people behind all of that, one of the greatest defenders of all time, Dennis Rodman. And he is now leaving San Antonio. And now he's going to play in Chicago. Bulls fans probably weren't too happy around that time, but... Grew to love Dennis Rodman throughout the years because that is the most fun version of Dennis Rodman, unquestionably. Chicago Bulls' Dennis Rodman was the most fun Dennis Rodman for everybody. Pistons' Dennis Rodman just pissed everybody off because he was just in everybody's face all the time. Spurs' Dennis Rodman just looked... That's where you kind of saw glimpses of it. Takes off the hat, has the the blonde high top fade under the hat. Not fitting anything of what the Spurs did at the time. David Robinson, David Robinson's name is the Admiral. He ain't putting up with that kind of stuff of a dude coming up with taking off his hat and having a a bleach blonde fade. It's not something the Admiral really likes. It's it's a constant theme of the San Antonio Spurs throughout their entire history. So it's not just like that. Now, if you look at it now, it was the exact same thing. At that time, that's why they're the winningest franchise of all time in regards to win percentage in the regular season. I, I think it's every game. And then once Dennis Rodman got to the Bulls, that's where you got everything. The different hairstyles, the different threes in the hair for Scottie Pippen finally coming back after saying he was never going to play for the Bulls again and then realized that he would not be able to get past the organization because the organization can twist things however they want. They're going to make you look like the bad guy and get you out of town. Or if they can't get you trade and you already said that, then you're just out of luck and you're, I guess you're just not playing at all. So Scotty was smart in realizing that. And that's where the 48 hours thing came in because Rodman was the number two for those games when Scotty was out. The 20 or 30 games Scotty was out, Rodman was the number two. And when now Scotty comes back, Rodman come, has to go take a break because Jordan said. He had to be a model citizen at that point. And it was killing him. It was killing him. He needed to take that sabbatical, I guess you could call it, 
to Vegas to release all those inner demons. I'm upset they didn't do the kamikaze story because there is a story out there. I don't know how true it is, but it gets talked about with Dennis Rodman all the time. If you don't know what it is, they didn't talk about it tonight, but look up Dennis Rodman kamikaze story. And he took an ungodly amount of kamikaze shots at bars, like in a row. It wasn't like in his lifetime, which in his lifetime is probably a scary amount. But in one sitting, there's no way that he could die. Go watch his third. No way. No one else could make it out of it like that. Go watch his 30 for 30. His 30 for 30 goes more in-depthly, obviously, because it's all dedicated to Dennis Rodman. This was just a, an hour-long special about Dennis Rodman. Actually, it was more like a half hour, and then it went back to the Bulls versus Pistons stuff. But that was episode three, basically about Dennis Rodman. The number three in the three amigos of the Chicago Bulls, Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, in that order. So now Rodman has to go back to his number three role, but he's fine with it. He knows his role. That's why he's a Hall of Famer. That's why all of them are Hall of Famers. But if you think, look back at it, like in that season, it shows the greatness of Michael Jordan and that Bulls team in general. Scottie Pippen was out for 20, 30 plus games with a foot injury and holding out because his contract's garbage, which against Scottie's credit, Jerry Reinsdorf said, don't, I would not sign the contract. And he knew that once he signed the contract, he's not getting another contract. Something Jerry Reinsdorf was very adamant about. Once you sign a contract, don't come back to me about another contract. So Scotty played himself. But again, I think it was his wife came out and said this. He made more career earnings in basketball than Jordan did. So he was fine. He was well off. He was fine. He was fine. He was fine. But he had Scotty out. So then you had Rodman as your number two, who was never a great scorer. He averaged about seven points a game, the greatest rebounder of all time, but he didn't score a lot. Great defender. One of the greatest defenders, rebounders of all time. Didn't score a lot. So there's no number two option scoring, really, at that time. I guess you could say Tony Kukoc at that time. But Rodman was the number two on the team. And then Pippen comes back and Rodman Rodman takes a 48-hour supposed sabbatical. And yet, that team went on to win the championship that year. You had all the distractions of that team. You had Pippen sitting out. You had Rodman going to Vegas for God knows how long. You had Jerry Krause saying that Phil Jackson could go 82-0 and not come back as the head coach. He will not return as the head coach of the Bulls. And then you have Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time, saying, if Phil's not back, I'm not back. And he stuck to his word. He was gone right after that season. And they still managed to win a championship. You had all these distractions constantly getting talked about in the media. And you still win a championship. I think it was just Jordan's spite and hate for Jerry Krause that he was like, we're winning this championship, whether he likes it or not. And then... We're going to make him look like the bad guy because he's already announced that they're tearing this whole ish down. No one's taking this from us. They're giving it to someone else. Which ushered in the next dynasty of the LA Lakers or the short dynasty of Kobe and Shaq. But man, you tore it down 
as it was still there. And then Jordan went on to be an executive of the Wizards for a little bit before coming back and playing for the Wizards and basically destroying Kwame Brown's career by beating him down mentally. <laughs> Feel bad for Kwame Brown because he could probably have been good, but he mentally not as strong as Jordan would have liked to be. Which sucks for him, which sucks for him. So that was episode three of The Last Dance, pretty much. You go to episode four, and like I mentioned at the beginning of episode three with Rodman, was on the Bad Boy Pistons. Episode four was basically about the Bulls getting over the hump and getting that first championship. It was about the Pistons. The Pistons beat them two years in a row in the Eastern Conference Finals. Went on to win NBA championships, sweeping one in the first finals and then winning one in five games the next year. The Pistons were the Bulls kryptonite at the time. They beat the Bulls down. They have the Jordan rules. Do not let Jordan get in the air. If he gets in the air, we're already done. So beat him down before he gets in the air. You have Bill Lambeer, Dennis Rodman, Joe Dumars, Soli, Thomas. You had all these people that would just beat the living crap out of you. So Jordan, Pippen, or Jordan, gets the entire team to start weight training. I want to start distributing pain, or administrating pain is what he said. I don't. I want to stop taking it. I want to stop taking the abuse. I want to start giving abuse. So they did weight training. Lose again, but then the next year, they sweep the Pistons. And the Pistons do the most Pistons thing at that time. No one liked the Pistons at that time. They were the most disliked team of all time. At that point in time, they were the most hated team of all time. Nobody liked the Pistons. Whether you're a player or a fan or an executive or a coach, you hated the Detroit Pistons. Those Pistons, the bad boy Pistons, you hated them. And they liked that. They didn't hate being hated. They enjoyed being hated. If anything, it made them play better. So you should have just gone like, oh man, I love the Detroit Pistons. Maybe it, would have, maybe it made them worse. But after the Bulls swept the Pistons to get to their first finals and get sweep the thing off Jordan's back, get the monkey off Jordan's back that he's just a scoring champ. He doesn't win NBA championships. He's just a, he's just can win scoring titles. He can't win the actual thing that matters. Pistons just walked off the court. And George Jordan gave the greatest response to this. By far the best part of the documentary was so far was Jordan Horace Grant talking about the Detroit Pistons. And <laughs> Jordan said, so I, they interviewed Isaiah Thomas as they've been doing pretty much the entire the entire show. And Isaiah Thomas was going over, if I knew what I knew now, yes, we would have gone back and shake their hands. But it wasn't like that back then. And then Jordan goes on, and ESPN put this on here. So if even if I didn't remember the exact quote, which I already did, but ESPN put it on here so I could read it exactly again. You show me anything you want. It's no way you can convince me he wasn't an asshole. He don't like Isaiah then, and he sure don't like Isaiah now. Nothing changed for Jordan. Jordan hated the Pistons. Pistons hated Jordan. Heck, they made the Jordan rules, as we said earlier. They do not like each other. Jordan still don't like Isaiah Thomas. And he showed they showed him the video of Isaiah's thing, and Jordan clapped back and said, if you go back, we shook their hands after they beat us in the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. 
You got to have sportsmanship. You got to have respect in the game. Shook their hands after they beat the crap out of us. Why can't they show us the same? Now, Isaiah Thomas was going back to when the Boston Celtics walked off the court there, which, like the Pistons before, <laughs> like the Pistons, the Boston Celtics were not one of the most loved teams of all time. They won a lot, but they weren't universally loved. My dad didn't like the Boston Celtics at that time. They weren't universally loved. They had a lot of good players. Goodness gracious. That one team in the first episode, first or second episode, the last dance, I can't remember. Five Hall of Famers on one team. That is crazy for a basketball team. Absolutely crazy to think about for a basketball team. You're, you can rotate these three. Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Bill Walton. That's your rotation of big men. Then you have Larry Bird, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge. Like, throw whoever you want. You're not beating that team. They weren't universally liked. So to use them as an example of, they did this, so we're going to do it. That's not a great example if you want to get liked again. <laughs> the Celtics were not very liked, as a lot of Boston teams are. Not very liked. For numerous reasons. Not just because they win, but just for numerous reasons. But yeah, there's <laughs> you don't want to do you Don't use that as your example. But it's just so it's just funny to look back at those games and go, man, they hate the Pistons. Hate them. Absolutely hate the Pistons. And they it still exists to this day. It has not changed. Time does not heal all wounds, as the old adage says. And it sure did not <laughs> end. After, what, that was 1991? So, uh, what is that, 30 years? Yeah. 30 years, essentially. 1990 to 2020. 30 years. It still feels the exact same. Jordan still hates and loathes Isaiah Thomas to his core. And the Bulls eventually got over the hump, beat the Pistons. And I didn't think about this until they brought this up, but the Denver Broncos beat the Green Bay Packers winning the Super Bowl. John Elway getting his Super Bowl ring. Which was a change of times. Because if you look back at the 90s, they were dominated by the NFC in the Super Bowls. NFC dominated the AFC. The Bills went to four straight Super Bowls, lost all of them all. Giants, Redskins, Cowboys twice. Then what happens? The 49ers going to win the Super Bowl. There's five in a row. Six in a row. We got the Dallas Cowboys beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then finally, we've got the Denver Broncos beating the Green Bay Packers in a Super Bowl for the AFC to get their first Super Bowl of the decade. Craziness. Absolute craziness. They showed that when they were fast forwarding back to the 1997 98 season. It was towards the end of. Uh, episode four, but I just thought they'd bring it up because that was really crazy. But back to the main thing. Uh, 91, Bulls end up beating the Lakers in five games. Dominating fashion, too. They beat them by 21 in the first or second game. I can't remember. And then they beat, they just beat them pretty good. And you get that raw emotion from Jordan after winning a championship, after all of that thing 
of this guy's only he's only going to win scoring championships. He's not going to win an actual championship, a championship that actually matters. And he got that championship. The emotion just pouring out, hugging Magic Johnson after beating the greatest point guard of all time in the NBA Finals. One of the greatest teams of all time in the NBA Finals. All that raw emotion. Finally, finally, I have that NBA championship. Everybody's seen that picture of him hugging the trophy at some point throughout their life. It's one of the most famous pictures of all time of him hugging the trophy after beating the Lakers. This is a great, it's going to be a great feeling. Winning an NBA championship after all that stuff said about, you see that throughout sports a lot. LeBron getting his first championship in Cleveland. Because a lot of people don't consider the championships in Miami anything. Same thing though. He can't, he can't win in the championship. It's all about him. That was pretty much the thing on LeBron James up until he went to Miami and then he won a championship. It was a struggle for the first year in Miami. They did not work well together in Miami. They had two alphas there, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Both wanted to be the best player. It was Dwayne Wade's team. But Dwayne held his game back for the betterment of the team. He ended up winning a championship game. And he won a championship in Cleveland. Like the, the, the monkey off your back thing of finally getting that first championship. Steve Young with the 49ers getting the championship against the Chargers, playing one of the greatest Super Bowl performances of all time for both him and Jerry Rice against a much weaker San Diego Chargers team spearheaded by Stan Humphreys at quarterback. Chargers had a decent defense with a Hall of Famer and Junior Seau and a good safety in Rodney Harrison. But that was pretty much it on those teams. St. Humphreys was a career backup. So, I mean, it's not like the greatest feat in the world, but you got the championship. That's all that matters is the championship. No matter how you got there, doesn't matter who you played, you got a championship. Doesn't matter as long as you won. And Steve Young literally says it's one of the most famous sports clip, most famous football clips of all time. Somebody get this monkey off my back. The monkey's finally off your back. Jordan got his first championship. And then they were wearing shirts on the plane saying three-peat, question mark. The Pistons were on their way to a three-peat in a championship. Bulls ended it. And it's kind of a little bit of foreshadowing because the Bulls went on to win their first of two three-peats in the NBA. That's crazy. A little bit of foreshadowing there. And they didn't even know it. Obviously, they didn't know it, or maybe they did, and they just time travelers and all that stuff, but craziness. Got to be a great feeling. Got to be an absolutely great feeling. Love watching The Last Dance. One of my favorite shows, it's everybody's favorite show, let's be honest. If they aired all 10 episodes in one night, if they started it at 8 o'clock and played all 10 episodes just for the 10 hours in one night, I think their viewership would be through the freaking roof. Even if they played it as late as they do. Like if their episode three was starting right now. Or in the middle. If we were in the middle of episode three right now. People would still be watching it. People would be energy drink sales. Starbucks sales. Uh, five other energy sales. Will be 
through the roof because people are going to want to watch it. But they always leave it for a good cliffhanger for episode three or uh, the next week. Episode five and six or next week can not wait for episode five and six. My dad actually stayed awake for three and four, which was very surprising. But he took a nap on the driveway of all places earlier today. So maybe it's not too surprising that he did end up not falling asleep for this one. I was proud of him. I was proud of him. I actually recorded it too. Because he asked me if I recorded the last one, which I didn't because I thought he would stay awake because it was the first episode, first two episodes of The Last Dance. I thought he was like, he's got to stay awake. There's no way he's going to fall asleep here. It's The Last Dance. He gotta, he's got to stay awake. He stayed awake the entire first one, missed some of the second one. He's like, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyways. Uh, did you record The Last Dance last night? Go, no, I did not. Because I thought we would be fine watching. I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. I was too hyped about it. I didn't even think about recording. Because I was like, well, we're going to watch it all anyway. So why do we need to record it? And he's like, well, we can watch back. Which, yes, that makes sense. But I thought we were going to stay awake. So I didn't think about it. I was just too hyped. I had, I was all decked out in Bulls stuff. Or not just but More Michael Jordan stuff. I had North Carolina shorts on. I had a Bulls shooting shirt on. I have my Michael Jordan jersey on. Like... And the shooting shirt and the jersey are from my uncle. These are like legit 90s stuff. And it's kind of cool when I see them rocking the black jerseys. Because I'm like, oh, that's the jersey that I'm wearing. Oh, look at me. I'm so cool. Because I got that jersey on right now. I got the shooting shirt on right now. And I got the jersey on. I just had some nice black Nike sweatpants shorts on for the, the show tonight. I didn't feel like getting my shorts all covered with dog hair. Because my... It's getting hotter outside, and my dog Bear sleeps on the couch downstairs. So there's dog hair all over her couch. It's a leather couch. You got dog hair all over. I don't want to get my white shorts, my white UNC shorts, covered with black dog hair. It's very sticky. You're a Rottweiler. He's a four-year-old Rottweiler, and it just sticks. His hair sticks to everything, especially when he sweats. Like, he gets hot. His coat just drops like crazy. I wish she was like our other dog, Poppy. She don't really shed that much. Unless you brush her, then you get covered in white dog hair. But that's, she doesn't shed. So that's pretty nice. But I cannot wait for episodes five and six. We got three more weekends of this, and then we're back to normal. Hopefully, well, hopefully we're back to our, our normal before this whole pandemic thing came out. By the time the last dance is all done, hopefully we are closer to more normal reality than what we are right now. And something that was very nice for a lot of people while this pandemic was going on, without sports being on, one of the most watched things of all time, one of the, well, not one of the, it is one of the most watched events of all time, but this, this, this one event Throughout its history has been watched, since probably the 80s, has been watched religiously by everybody. Every fan of every kind watches this. But this year was the most watched ever. And I'm not very surprised. We'll talk about that, and we'll reveal of what that thing is right after this. Welcome back, everybody, to... 
this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, otherwise known as the Basement Podcast. Since we're not live on 94.5 KLT, everything you and I, we are just sitting in my basement doing the Logan Blackman Show. We are in my office, or not my office, but the office in our house. It's in our basement. It's very dirty. I'm in a rocking chair that's been in our house for my entire life. I am sitting at a fold-up table. I am surrounded by boxes of ornaments, um, a shelf with random things in it, a lot of old coffee mugs covered in uh, newspapers. I got an old microwave. I got all my old toys. I got my Thomas the Train collection in my giant box. And I will say this, for whoever thinks they have a, they were they were liked Thomas the Tank Engine growing up, I challenge you to a Thomas off. And you will not be able to beat me. It is impossible. I will take pictures. I will bring it to you. I don't care. I have the best Thomas the Tank Engine collection of all time. I don't want to hear anything about it. I, I'm not even. I'm not even playing with the idea. I'm not even toying with the idea of you having an okay or good Thomas the Tank Engine collection. It's not happening. Uh, we also got. Uh, Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys, some Transformers, some Legos, a Dinosaur, a Barbie Dream House. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. Uh, a toy shopping cart and um, an axe. So, yeah, we got, we got a little bit of everything down here. Then I got Jeff Gordon staying in the corner. It's a little statue of Jeff Gordon. About I bet it's about a foot and a half tall, I would guess. Maybe just a foot tall. And it's just him holding a Pepsi bottle with his fist in the air after he won something. So, yeah, that's a little tour of my office with just audio, I guess. Hopefully, you just closed your eyes and just visualized with what I was saying. I got this blue rocking chair, and it's one of the most comfortable chairs of all time. I love this chair. So comfortable. So, 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 so comfortable. Well, as we said, go right at the end of the last segment of the last dance, uh, the most watched sporting event of like of, of just like the year. Everybody watches. It's not just an event. I'm not saying just games. We're gonna, we're gonna exclude games because this is an event. The NFL draft is consistently one of the most watched events of the year outside of sporting events. Just events. The NFL draft is the biggest draft in the world. the The biggest league in the world. The NFL, the richest league in the world, draws the biggest crowds last year. Biggest live attendance of an NFL draft ever when they were down in Nashville. Videos of that are freaking crazy. You look at that a few years before with Philly. Crazy. Dallas in 2018. Crazy. AT&T Stadium. Like, the draft just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year. You see, like, these, they go to, like, it started off in, like, a little hotel conference room. With just like three people from each organization there. And Pete Rozelle coming up to the stage and saying, quarterback, Dan Marino. Like, he just says the same, like, granted, there's not a lot you could say. He'd make it interesting, though. He'd like to add a little bit of suspense and make fun of fans a little bit, which made it fun. But as we got into the 80s, then it kind of got a little bigger. We started getting a little bigger conference rooms. Maybe even going to a little odd middle school auditorium every once in a while. Maybe we do that. Be a little 
little interesting there. See if we can do something with that. Then you get ESPN getting big. Mel Kuyper was one of the reasons the draft is as big as it is. To his credit, I don't think he's the best at his job. We will talk about that in a little bit. But he is one of the reasons the draft grew as it is. ESPN televised the draft. Which they had in years before, but Mel Kuyper put a face to somebody to look at in the draft. You didn't have that outspoken guy that consistently would call out teams on if they made a bad decision or not. He was that guy. Everybody could go like, oh yeah, Mel Kuyper from ESPN, the draft guy. Let's watch the draft. ESPN's always been about personalities. Never really been about getting the best, actually most knowledgeable people about something. If we're being honest here, let's just be 100% honest here. Now, I could come back to bite me if I ever get employed by ESPN, but you know what? Right now, I'm cool with it. But Mel Kuyper, there in ESPN, as the years go on, gets bigger and bigger. We're even in, like, um, Radio City Music Hall, like the biggest auditoriums in the United States. The Chicago Theater. Like, all these big-time historical theaters we're going to. And then now we're going to outside venues like philly uh like nashville last year we had cowboys stadium and at&t stadium the biggest stadium in the nfl i've been there it's impressive not the team that plays there not the fans that are in there but the stadium itself is impressive but this is crazy how crazy it's grown in this year with it being a virtual draft nobody can go there's nothing to go to i guess you could say they are sitting in their shorts with their families and they get a plain black hat with a logo on it. It's nothing fancy, but it was watchable and it was fun to watch as will 55 million other people will say 55 million people over the three days tuned in to the 2020 NFL draft. That is absolutely crazy number to think of the most watched draft of all time unsurprisingly people need sports people are craving sports this is the best live sporting event you are going to get now the WNBA did recently just have their draft but that kind of just come out of nowhere i was like didn't the season like just end why are we having a draft now and then it ended and then we did the draft and then kind of moved on but the nfl draft is the biggest draft unquestionably in sports Baseball is probably the lowest draft because <laughs> there's a thousand rounds and it comes up at random times all the time. Like no one remembers when the MLB draft is on and then you'll get a random update on your phone going with the first selection, the Baltimore Orioles select. And then you're like, what the MLB draft was today. I didn't even know it was today. I didn't hear an announcement. I didn't hear anything. There's so many freaking draft rounds in the MLB draft. David Bodie was drafted in the 18th round. <laughs> like, it's crazy to think about how many drowns there are. And there's 30 teams. It's not like the old NFL where you look at, oh, man, he got drafted in the 30th round. Yeah, there's like eight teams. It's not that impressive when you go 30 rounds. It probably equals a grand total of like three rounds today. But 18 rounds with 30 teams, or even more rounds than that. That's the mid-round pick in the MLB draft. 18th round is your NFL's third round. That's just crazy but most watched draft ever 55 million people i love the draft 
do mock drafts every year, try to get as accurate as possible. This year, I feel like we did good. The first round. Nine picks. We're close on a lot of them, which makes me very, very frustrated. Don't release something the day of an event. I said this last year, but I do it every single year anyways. It will come back to bite you because you overthink everything. I think overthink things all the time, which is why I released the thing today, which hasn't really been watched and looked at that much since I've posted it. I'm going to see how many people it's been viewed on now. Like an hour ago or two hours ago, it was at like seven people looked at this thing. So we'll see how many people have looked at this thing now. Um, yeah. Oh, it's still seven people. <laughs> God, it's, it's turned out great. Uh, it was called, I'm an idiot. Why I'm an idiot. 2020 NFL draft edition. Like I've released some stupid things before. But I thought it would get more than seven views. I think it's because I didn't post it on Facebook. I only posted it on um, Twitter and Instagram. I usually post it on Facebook. I think that's why I didn't post it on Twitter to like in two hours, two or three or four hours after I made the stupid thing. I just posted on Instagram like that right afterwards. I didn't even think about Twitter, and I didn't even think about Facebook. But basically, it goes through each pick and goes over my thinking. On basically why I'm an idiot, why I got to pick right, why I got to pick wrong. Really not not why I got to pick right. I left the picks that I got right blank. I just went in order. Real pick, my pick. Real pick, my pick. Uh, my most frustrating pick, I we did this basically on Friday. So I'm not going to go through the entire thing again. But since the draft's over, I'm going to go of uh, picks I got right. This is just my draft results thing. Because again... We went through each pick in-depthly on Friday. So I don't need to do that again. And I'm not going to do that again because it's, it's not necessary. But with this draft, picks I got right, I got nine. I got exactly nine picks right. It was, um, and this is, this is just players at the right teams. I'm not going in that crazy and going players um, in the exact spot. Because if I did that, I would have more than nine. So with this, I got Joe Burrow right to Cincy, Chase Young to Washington, Jeff Okuda to Detroit. Exact place, exact team. Got it right. New York Giants, this one frustrated me. I should have gotten that one right. But Andrew Thomas. I got the Dolphins right with two attack of Viola. I got the Panthers and Cardinals flipped. That one ticks me off. I got CJ Henderson and Jedrick Wills at the right spot, pick-wise. But wrong team. Jacksonville and Cleveland made the picks. I had Tampa Bay and Atlanta making the picks. I had Makai Becton exactly right. I had um, Jerry Judy exactly right to Denver. I had Austin Jackson exactly right to Miami. I had Jalen Rager exactly right to Philadelphia. I had... What else did I have exactly right? Did I have anybody else exactly right after? Isaiah Wilson to Tennessee. I had exactly right. And I should have gotten Minnesota to Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney to Minnesota right. So I got, but I got 9 out of 10. I got 9 out of 10 in the draft. So you know what? I'll take it. I will take it. Picks I was so close on but got wrong. In total, I got 16 out of the ones I knew I was close on. 
Just my opinion. I'm not going to say I got was so close on uh, thir- 23 teams because I wasn't close on 23 teams. I was close on a lot of them. Um, picks I'm pissed off about myself about. <clears throat> uh, I said 18. I was pissed off at 18 picks. Prospects I had that didn't go in the first round. So these are players that in my last mock draft I had going in the first round but didn't end up actually being in the first round. I had six players that went that I had in the first round that didn't make it. Uh, this is in pick order when they were actually picked. So Xavier McKinney went 36th to the New York Giants. I think that's a very nice fit for the Giants. Versatile safety, can do everything. My best safety in the draft by far to me. Uh, Yatir Grossmanos, I had him going to the Seahawks at 30. He went 38th to the Panthers. I had McKinney going 26th to Miami. So that's if you're wondering about that. Ross Blacklock, I had as my number 31st pick. He went 40th. Jalen Johnson, I had that number 22, which I feel like if he didn't have shoulder surgery, I think he would have gone the first round. So that's my stipulation with that. Ezra Cleveland went 58th. I thought he would sneak into the first round. I am going to Cleveland because reports were Cleveland loved him. So I thought that would actually happen. But you can read the article and realize why I'm a stupid idiot on why that didn't happen. And then Denzel Mims was my last one. I had him going 25 to the Vikings. He went 59th to the Jets. Ezra Cleveland went to the Vikings. Jalen Johnson went to the Bears. Ross Blacklock went to the Texans. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. Uh, Out of the players that I didn't have going in the first round, again, six of them, because, again, they're going to flip-flop with those two. Uh, Damon Arnett went 19th. He is the highest player out of all the players that I did not have going in the first round. 19th. And he was the one I didn't even think about putting in the first round. He was one of just one that I didn't have going, that I didn't even think about. That didn't even cross my mind of putting him in the first round. Maybe he turns out good. I'm not going to sit here and bash the player. I could bash the pick and say they could have gotten him later, but the player, he could turn out to be a world beater and they could look really smart after this. I just think they could have gotten more value for the pick if they took him later. Uh, Cesar Ruiz went 24th. I had him going in the first round. I didn't know where he would go. It was something I struggled with the entire time. I had him going to Kansas City in mock draft 4.0. I had him almost going to Dallas in this one. I had Dallas trading back into the first round to get him. Um, I also toyed with the idea of Philadelphia, which is another place that I had him going. Uh, The Vikings and Ravens were also teams I had him going to, but eventually went against it because I knew... In my heart of hearts, the Vikings were going wide receiver and corner in the draft. Uh, Brandon Ayuk went 25th. This is one out of these players I'm pissed off about that I didn't have in the first round because I should have. I should have had him in the first round. He's a better pure wide receiver than Denzel Mims. That pisses me off more than anything. Uh, Jordan Brooks at 27th. I toyed with the idea here. I had him going around the 30 mark. I didn't think he could take him before Patrick Queen. That is something I did not see coming at all. But I get it. Uh, Patrick Queen played only one, had really only one year of starting at LSU. And he's also a tad bit undersized. Six foot, 220 pounds is not ideal size for an NFL linebacker. But hey, Derek Brooks was undersized. There's been undersized linebackers throughout the history of the NFL. 
that turned out to have great careers. Derrick Brooks is a friggin' Hall of Famer. I'm not going to hold being undersized against an NFL player. Look at Darren Sproles. He's a borderline Hall of Famer. Darren Sproles, he's five foot nothing. Like, there's players that are undersized all the time, but I did not have Jordan Brooks going above him. Jordan Brooks does weigh 20 pounds more than uh, Patrick Queen and does have more experience, but experience on what stage is what you could look at there. But he went to 27 Seattle. Uh, Noah Ibaganier, I did not say that right. Noah I went 30th to Miami. He was in the 30s. If he went in the first round, he's going in the 30s. I saw him going to mock drafts to the Green Bay Packers. I had seen him go to the Tennessee Titans. The 49ers were talking about getting him. The Chiefs. So somewhere within that 29-32 range was where he was going to go. He ended up going 30, so I'm not surprised there. And Clyde Edwards-Lair went 32nd. I'm not surprised that he went here. Uh, The only thing I'm surprised about is that he was the first running back taken. I thought if a running back got taken in the first round, which in my last mock draft, I did not have a running back in the first round. I thought it would be DeAndre DeAndre Swift, who went number 35 to the Lions. I might have the number wrong, but he went to the Lions. Um, but he was my number two back. Leading up to the draft, I had Clyde Edwards Elaire as my number two back because of his pass catching ability out of the backfield, fitting with a lot of what teams are looking for now. So what DeAndre Swift does best out of everybody. The tread on DeAndre Swift's tires is also a lot less than some of the other, like uh, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. But the catch pass catching ability is huge here. Clyde Jalair is the best pass catching back in the draft. So that makes sense why he went 32. I don't think he's a better running back than DeAndre Swift. I think he's a better pass catcher. So that's why he fits well with what Kansas City does. So I'm not surprised he went 32nd to Kansas City at all. Um, pick I'm most pissed off about, Justin Herbert to New England. Um, you can read the thing I posted if you want to, but if you don't, I'm pissed off because New England never trades up in the draft. They never trade up. And Justin Herbert would not have fallen out of the top six. Justin Herbert was going to be an L.A. Charger. Justin, the Chargers can preach all they want about Tyrod Taylor. He's not a franchise guy. I know that. I've watched him in Buffalo. He's. I've said this on the show. He's not going to win you games, but he sure as heck's not going to lose you any games. He is a solid NFL court. He's a more mobile version of Alex Smith. And everybody likes Alex Smith. Everybody likes Tyrod Taylor. But he's just an average quarterback. He's not a franchise guy. He's not going to win you any games. So I knew that, but I also thought the Chargers would go after a quarterback like Jalen Hurts because there were talks that they really liked him. Or a quarterback like Jordan Love. Trading back into the first round to get him, which... The Chargers did end up trading back into the first round to get a linebacker, which I did toy with the idea of Isaiah Simmons going six and uh, crap, Jordan Love going to the Chargers in the late first round, but that didn't happen. Went opposite, quarterback six. Herbert was not falling outside the top 10. And was he not only falling outside the top 10, the Patriots weren't going to trade up to get him. Patriots never trade back. They traded back in the first round. I even said on the live draft that the Patriots are going to trade back and someone who I said would be Baltimore would trade up to get Kenneth Murray. Wrong team, but Kenneth Murray still went there. I had 
This is what I had. And this is a Logan Blackman Show exclusive. In my last mock draft, I had the New England Patriots trading back with Baltimore. Baltimore getting Kenneth Murray. Actually, no. I had the Eagles taking Kenneth Murray. Patrick Queen went to the Ravens because I had them jumping the Saints because I thought the Saints liked him. And I did the Patriots back and had them drafting Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame. I also toyed with the idea of the Green Bay Packers trading up with them to take uh, Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray, which would have made sense if they took Jordan Love because I also toyed with that idea a little bit too. But I did not, Patriots never trade back. Jordan Love was not going to fall outside the top 10. So that's what I'm pissed off about the draft. Um, Close seconds to pissed off about picks 7, 8, 9, and 10. Okay, I could throw six in there as well. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Chargers were going to take love. I had seven and eight flipped with Derek Brown and Isaiah Simmons. I think whoever the Panthers took, the Cardinals were going to take the next guy. So I don't think it mattered who got taken. I think if the Panthers took Isaiah Simmons, the Cardinals were taking Derek Brown. If the Panthers took Derek Brown, the Cardinals would take Isaiah Simmons, which is exactly what happened. Jacksonville and Tampa, or Jacksonville and uh, Cleveland, I just had them train back. They took the exact players. Just the wrong teams. That pisses me off. That's what I'm most pissed off about the draft. 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 in the Patriots pick. That is what pissed me off about the draft more than anything. On my end, not the actual draft, on my end. Uh, Picks I should have actually done in my mock draft. Andrew Thomas to New York, the Giants. Why? Because there are reports going the week of the draft and even a week before that said he was going to be the first tackle off the board. That's what a report said. It literally said that. And I just ignored it. Why? Because I'm an idiot. I don't know. That's why I wrote this article. It's called, Why Am I Why Am I an Idiot? It's exactly why. Uh, Justin Herbert to LA. I have already explained that. Derek Brown to Carolina. They had the one of the they had the second worst rush defense in the NFL last year. Duh. Made sense. Uh followed by picks eight, nine, and ten. Because if I took here Derek Brown to Carolina, I was gonna throw Simmons in Car- in Arizona. And then nine and ten, I just shouldn't have had trade backs. Uh I should have had Henry Ruggs to Vegas, because that's what John Gruden wanted. I should have had Kinlaw to San Fran, because if I had Ruggs to Las Vegas. Kinlaw was not going anywhere but San Fran. Reports were San Fran valued a guy or wanted a guy like Kinlaw. So they would have taken him. Why I didn't do that? I don't know. Again, because I'm an idiot. Uh, Brandon Ayuk going to San Fran. Or just pick 25 in general. Because I had the Vikings taking a wide receiver at 25. Because I didn't think Justin Jefferson would last to pick 22. If I did, I would have just given him Justin Jefferson. I didn't see him getting past Philly. But that's whatever. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is a way better route runner. He's a better overall wide receiver than Mims. Mims is a great vertical threat. who has a lot of athleticism. But that's about it. He's not a polished route runner like Ayuk. He's not a returner. And he's not as versatile as Ayuk. That's why Ayuk went before him. That Ayuk fits what the 49ers want to do. So I should have just done that. Uh, Jordan Love to Green Bay. This is a report that was happening about a month before the draft. This started kicking up. Um, yeah, I should have done this. 
I thought he would go to New Orleans because I liked the fit with him and Sean Payton, which turns out of another quarterback going there, but we'll talk about that a little bit. They also signed a quarterback to an extension. We'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. But this is not something that surprised me. It surprised a lot of people. This got brought up about a month before the draft on Colin Coward's show. And I'm not, I'm not surprised by it. I think it's not the smartest decision in the world. You're coming off an a- NFC Championship berth, and you're seeing the team in San Francisco replace a guy, a, replace an all-pro with the second best, some would argue, the best defensive tackle in the draft, Javon Kinlaw, and getting a stud wide receiver. Well, you drafted no wide receivers and took a backup quarterback and a third-string running back. You had, by some accounts, the best running back duo in the league. And you drafted a running back. Why? That doesn't help you get past the hump on San San Fran's getting better. You're looking to get better from five years from now. Because Love's not going to play this year. Love's not going to play the next year. And Love's not going to play the next year. If that, they might play the third year. I don't know. Probably not. My guess is on not. But I should have seen it coming. It's not that surprising to me. To be honest, it's not. It was brought up a lot. I almost did it. But I just thought New Orleans would pounce on him first. And then Jeff Gladney to Minnesota. Um, Yeah. They literally said Jeff Gladney is a Mike Zimmer type player. But I just thought they liked Jalen Johnson. What I didn't think about is Johnson coming off shoulder surgery. I kind of brushed it off, like some dirt on my shoulder. (laughs) But I shouldn't have, because it just made sense. I should have done that. I should have really done that. So that is what my draft results kind of are on my end. So like comparing it to my mock draft and all that stuff. We're going to take a very quick break here on the Logan Blackman Show. Come back and... Go over the likes of the Khalil Mack trade, my favorite drafts, who had the worst draft, or my least favorite draft. I'm not going to call it the worst draft, my least favorite draft. Because in the future, it could turn out to be the greatest draft. But right now, it's my least favorite. We're going to go over the QBs that were taken, five things I took away from this draft, surprises, Iowa watch, all of that stuff coming up right after this, here on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show being recorded at 11.09, right after the last dance. See you in a little bit. All right, everybody, and welcome back to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, being recorded on Sunday night, April 26th. By the time we get done with this, it will probably be midnight, around midnight, sometime around there. Maybe, Maybe we're past midnight. Maybe we'll be... Maybe it will be Monday when this show gets all done and dusted. But as we were talking about in the last little segment that we did there, we were going over what I liked in the draft, basically going over my article I posted or my blog post, whatever you want to call it, on the LoganBlackmanShow.com, basically saying why I'm an idiot and going over the draft on comparing it to my mock draft, to the real mock, to the real draft. Not going over each and every pick, just going over which picks I was frustrated in that I didn't get. Basically just me reflecting and me going like, man, I should have gotten this. Since I've had a few days to think about what has happened 
as the draft has wrapped up. Again, 55 million people watched the 2020 NFL draft, the most watched NFL draft of all time, and it was not disappointing. I enjoyed it. I loved every second of the virtual draft. It was a little different at the beginning. I love having the fans there and seeing it, but I I thoroughly enjoyed watching the NFL draft this year, especially day two, which I don't think I've said in a very long time. I loved watching day two of the NFL draft. I loved it. I spent about four hours on Instagram live on Thursday talking about each pick. So I didn't really get a chance to actually sit down and watch it. I was basically just sitting there giving my opinions about a pick instead of actually just sitting down and enjoying the draft. I was an analyst at that time, which I had, I had a blast doing. I had an absolute blast doing that, but I enjoy watching the draft as well. So Tuesday or uh, Friday night, when the second and third rounds were taking place, I sat down and watched it. Loved the Bills picks of AJ Epineza and Zach Moss. Don't know how Epineza fell all the way to 54. And it was really funny. My dad's sister and I are sitting at the counter and the Cowboys are on the clock. And I go, my dad's wanting Trayvon Diggs. My dad's been wanting Trayvon Diggs ever since day one. He wanted him to part, get back with his brother and get a solid corner on the opposite side of Tredavious White. I know they signed Josh Norman, but Josh Norman, even though he's on the Bills, is still the most overrated corner in the draft. That's not My opinion is not going to change on that just because now he's on my team. He's still extremely overrated and has been just because of that one game with Odell Beckham Jr. where he made him completely lose his mind against the New York Giants when he was on the Panthers. Redskins, he just got played like an average corner. But because of that one game, everybody talks about him. So he's con- he got that big contract in Washington. Man, it's not like Washington to give out bad contracts. It's not like they've ever done that. If you go back and watch the NFL Networks, this is a random tidbit. Go back and watch the NFL Networks' top 10 worst free agent signings of all time. Number one is the Redskins signings. Like, the Redskins have never been good. Ever since the turn of the 21st century, they have not been good at making free agent signings. You look at Deion Sanders signing there. Adam Archuleta got a big contract to do nothing. Albert Hainsworth, the worst free agent signing of all time. Monster contract. Didn't do anything in Washington. Literally, he did. I'm not just saying that because he was a bad player. He literally did nothing. He didn't play. They said all he has to do is run sprints and he'll be back. He wouldn't even do that. He was another version, the defensive lineman version of Demarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell. That's exactly what he was. Terrible signing. Terrible signing. And then you look at the Josh Norman signing. Oh, we're just going to splash. This guy was relevant for a little bit. It's kind of like the Raiders in the 90s. They went after two Super Bowl MVPs. Just because you want a Super Bowl MVP doesn't mean you're good. Usually, they're pretty average. Sometimes they're a really average player. Especially in the time of the 90s. When the Raiders went out and signed free agents. But the Redskins, Josh Norman, big contract. Average player. Just got a below average player. Got a monster contract. Sucked. Now he's with Buffalo. But I still thought the Bills 
will go after corner to push him. So they lost face to Levi Wallace at some point throughout the season. So and they lost Kevin Johnson. So there was a need there at another corner. Not really. It wasn't a need, more of a want because Trey White, best corner in the league. Him or Stephon Gilmore, I don't care. Those are the two best corners in the league. And then you got Teron Johnson in the slot. Teron, Teron Johnson is our slot corner. Opposite corner, Trey White, between Josh Norman and Levi Wallace. Do I trust either one of those guys? Not really. So I was on the boat of wanting Trayvon Diggs. Also, because I also didn't think that A.J. Epineza would last to pick 54. But if he did, there's no way they could pass on him, even if Trayvon Diggs was available. And as the as the Cowboys were picking, right before they said, I said, Dad, they're going to watch them pick Trayvon Diggs. Just laughing about it. And then the commissioner said Trayvon Diggs. I was dying laughing. I was like, I cannot believe that actually just happened. But then Epineza fell right to them, which shows why the combine can be extremely overrated. Epineza, throughout his time at Iowa, was talked about as the first or second best defensive end in the country with Chase Young. Constantly talked about. He has a bad combine, a horrific combine to say that. Drops the pick 54. 54. I, I could see him going early, set like in the 30s, but 54. It's a little low. It's really low. Bill's got an absolute steal there. But man, I love day two. When Zach Moss win the third round, Bill's going after people, running backs that can break tackles. Voiding tackles la- two years ago or last year, Devin Singletary was second best in the country. Last year was Zach Moss. Bill's got a type when it comes to running backs. Loved the picks in day two. Loved watching day two. I think it also helped that I liked watching day two more because my team actually had a pick. Didn't have any first round picks. Traded it for Stephon Diggs. Which I'm cool with. I'm still cool with. But it makes it a little more fun when your team has actually has, when it actually has a pick. So I don't know what Texans fans feel like all the time. But the best part about day two other than my team picking and getting players I liked was Roger Goodell in the comfy chair. I loved watching Roger Goodell in the comfy chair. That was awesome. That is the draft moment. Best draft moment of all time. He starts off the night chilling, just talking, standing there talking. And then all of a sudden he's like, I have moved my comfy chair where I sit and watch NFL football. It's like, Oh no, this turned into an, awesome draft and then he just kept him get lounged back lounge. he looked like my dad watching that it was so funny I enjoyed every second of watching Roger Goodell in the comfy chair and there he's guys haters Roger Goodell we've said this on the live show throughout the semester that before Rob Manfred opened his mouth big fat mouth about the Astros thing Roger Goodell was easily the most hated commissioner in sports. Unchallenged, really. Manfred not only beat him, destroyed him in haters. Nobody likes Rob Manfred. Now, because of this moment, Goodell has gotten a lot more fans. The comfy chair thing, I I grew to like Goodell watching him throughout the night. I know he has his haters, especially in the New England region. Over in Boston, they do not like... Roger Goodell. A lot because of Dave Portnoy. They don't like each other. 
But Goodell got some fans. I'm not saying I'm a fan of Goodell, but it was enjoyable to watch. And he definitely got some fans off of day two of the NFL draft. A lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. And as the draft wrapped up, so was the end of the much-talked-about Khalil Mack trade. The Khalil Mack trade is already done. It is all done and dusted. Raiders have used all the picks, and now we can look back at it and ask what happened. So here's what the Bears received from the Raiders. With the picks involved, this is the, who they picked. So they got Khalil Mack, Cole Komet, and Arlington Hambright, a seventh-round pick. Cole Komet was widely considered the best tight end in the drafts, with some people having him in the first round. I had him as a borderline first-rounder. So to get him in the second round, great pick, great value pick by the Chicago Bears. And Khalil Mack, one of the best defenders in football, had an off year last year, but is still one of the most dominant, one of the best defenders in football, one of the best football players in all football, which I had, which is why I had him in my top 10 of best players in the NFL. He had one bad year. He's been a dominant player his entire career. Craziness. Uh, and the Raiders, out of the deal, got Josh Jacobs, who came second in Rookie of the Year voting, Offensive Rookie of the Year. They uh, traded their sixth-round pick in the 2019 draft. Then this year, got Damon Arnett, cornerback from Ohio State, and Brian Edwards, a wide receiver from South Carolina. Now, Josh Jacobs, he's already proved his worth in the NFL. He came second rookie of the year, held or broke some records that were held by LaDainian Tomlinson, my favorite football player of all time. Damon Arnett, beast corner at Ohio State. Just wasn't talked about as much because he was partnering Jeff Okuda. Was was not, was not considered a first-round draft pick by pretty much everybody. Every draft quote-unquote expert said this guy's not a first-round talent. Could have gotten him in the third round, but he could turn out to be a very good corner. And if they got him in the third, you're like, man, they got great value in the third. But if they got him in the first, you're like, well, good pick, well spent. And Byron Edwards, Brian Edwards, was picked right after one of my favorite players in the draft, Lynn Bowden from Kentucky. Might have been my favorite player in the draft with him and Isaiah Simmons. Watch some Kentucky highlights from last year. He is fun to watch. But back to the player, Edwards made some great catches. He's going to be a very fun wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders. Look at the Raiders wide receiver core next year. They have built some nice weapons for Derek Carr. Just team in general. Josh Jacobs, Tyra Williams, Darren Waller. Then he add to that. Brian Edwards in the third. Lynn Bowden, who you also got in the third, that could play quarterback and running back as well, listed as a wide receiver in the draft. And then you got Henry Ruggs, the fastest receiver in the draft, at pick 12. And you also have Hunter Renfro still there. You added Nelson Aguilar in free agency. The Raiders have built a nice little offense there, quietly. So looking at that, who won... The trade. Now, with trades, the thing you look at to start off is the best player. Who got the best player? And as of right now, it still stands as Khalil Mack. Now, Josh Jacobs, Damon Arnett, or Brian Edwards could very well pass 
them past him as the best players in the NFL. But as of right now, Khalil Mack is still a top 10, top 15 player in the league. Yes, I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he's still a game-changing player. He pushed the play. He is the main reason the Chicago Bears made the playoffs two years ago. Which, speaking of the Chicago Bears, they're thinking about not signing Mitchell Trubisky to his fifth-year option. Where would Trubisky go? I want you to think about that when you're listening, because we'll talk about that probably on Wednesday. But the Bears won the trade. I mean, Josh Jacobs, Arnett, and Edwards can turn out to be great players. Khalil Mack is one of the top two defensive players in the league. Not just at his position. He is one of the best players in football. So the Bears won the trade. I don't care how good Josh Jacobs can turn out to be. I don't care how good Arnett's going to be. I don't care how good Edwards is going to be. Unless they're the best at their position or one of the top 10 players in the league, the Bears won the trade. And they even got Cole Komet. The Bears used the picks wisely and got a position of need in Cole Komet. Bears had a nice draft, especially in the second round. Getting two first-round graded players in the second round. Great value picks there. The Bears won the trade. Simple as that. Bears got the best player. Bears won the trade. That's it. Whoever got the best player won the trade. Now we can analyze this in five years down the line, two, three, four, five years down the line. Maybe opinions have changed. But Khalil Mack is a game-changing player and is one of the top two defenders in football. Him and Aaron Donald are a level all to themselves, I would say. I think you could throw Stephon Gilmore in there. I think you could throw Trey White, Bobby Wagner, J.J. Watt. Uh, who else? I'm probably missing. T.J. Watt, maybe. Probably missing some more people in there. Anyone on the 49ers D-line? DeForest Buckner? Joey Melvin Ingram? Joey Bosa? But those two, Mack and Donald, are the top two defenders in the league. The Bears won the trade. I don't need to elaborate more than that. Bears won. Now, with that being said, we said the Bears had a solid draft, especially in the second round, getting Jalen Johnson and, uh, who did we say, Cole Komet. Two first-round grade players with a lot of people having Jalen Johnson in the first round, including myself. Injuries just dropped him. Or the the surgery, not really much so. Injuries, just surgery, pretty much. But beast of a player. Beast of a player. But who had the best drafts? Who had my, well, not the best drafts. Who had my favorite drafts? My favorite draft, this is my top five in no order at all favorite drafts. Uh, The Minnesota Vikings. After day two, Vikings were the runaway favorite with the best draft. Why? Because they got a top 20 player at 22. They could have traded up to get him when a lot of analysts were saying Justin Jefferson is going to go before pick 20. With everybody, if he made it past 20, he wasn't getting past 21. So that was pretty much the consensus there. Now he makes it to 22. They got a great pick there. And at pick 31, they traded back and got a guy that they valued at 25. That's what I call a value pick. You get a guy you wanted at a later pick at the pick you originally had. That's a value pick. 
Those grade highly in the Logan Blackman Show uh, draft guides. If you can get a player you wanted at a certain spot, but get more picks and get the guy you wanted at that spot, that's a value. That is a great grade. So there's that. And then the Vikings coupled that on day two by getting Ezra Cleveland, who I had as a top six offensive lineman in this draft, top seven offensive lineman in this draft. To be his credit, he went seven. So we're right on that. I had him going in the first round. Ezra Cleveland is a first-round talent. He has all the athletic ability to play both tackles and played him very well while at Boise State. I think that's a great pick for the Vikings. They didn't get Trent Williams, but reports were Trent Williams wasn't really keen on going to Minnesota anyways, so the Vikings just said, screw that, we're taking Cleveland here. I think that's a great pick for the Minnesota Vikings future. He might not be the best option right away, but potential-wise, much like Austin Jackson in Miami, great, great value pick. Love it. Love it for the Vikings. And then got Dantzler, the corner from Mississippi State, in the third round, who did a great job at guarding Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson while at Mississippi State in college. That's the best day one and two in the draft. Unchallenged, really. The Vikings had themselves a great draft. They are my number one. The rest of them fall into place. The Vikings, just because of day one and two, had the best draft for me. Uh, the Denver Broncos had themselves a great draft as well. They gave Drew Locke weapons. John Elway saw he has a quarterback with a lot of talent and got him the proper weapons. Jerry Judy, one of the best wide receivers in the draft, who a lot of people suspected you would have to trade up for to get. They sat at 15 and let the draft fall to them. They let their position, They let players fall where they could. They got the player they wanted. Again, if you don't waste picks to trade up to get your guy, I count that as an absolute win. If you can get your guy at a later pick that you value and think is going to go a lot higher, that's an absolute win. The Vikings, get Jeff Gladney at 31. They wanted him at 25. Still got him. The Broncos, reports were saying they'd have to trade up to get Judy. Stayed at 15. Got him. They used the board perfectly with that one. And then coupled that to get K.J. Hamler, one of the fastest wide receivers in this draft. You put him up there with Ruggs and Rager, this dude's got burners. So now you go from the Broncos receiving court for Corton Sutton and the rest to Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, and K.J. Hamler. That is a beast receiving core. You got... Sutton on one side, Judy on the other, Hamler in the slot, Fant at tight end, and then you've got Drew Locke's tight end, Albert O from Missouri. I'm not even going to attempt to say his last name. You got his tight end from Missouri there. You got Noah Fant, Judy, Hamler, Sutton, Phillips, Philip Lindsay, and Melvin Gordon, and Drew Locke. A draft. You built your offense back. You got a young, very, very talented quarterback. And you got Michael Ojemudia at cornerback as well. Partner A.J. Bouye. Love the draft for the Broncos. And I hate it because I hate the Broncos, but great draft for Denver. The Dallas Cowboys 
Not in a great draft as well. Got C.D. Lamb at 17. I did not see that coming at all. C.D. Lamb falling all the way to 17. I don't think a lot of people did. Crazy to me that he fell to 17. I toyed with him and Ruggs as my top two receivers in the draft. But it was very close. Like, Judy wasn't like a distant third. Like, it was... They were like 11, 12, and 13 on my big board. I never actually released any other big boards post big board number one, but that's what I had for my quote-unquote final big board that I never actually released. But you went 17. And not only did he go 17, you he went to... He didn't go to one of your biggest rivals, which is another win there. He did not go to Philly. That's an absolute dub. Philly reports were were wanting to trade up to get him. Cowboys took him at 17. So now, Eagles fans who were dead set on getting CeeDee Lamb and wanted CeeDee Lamb and coveted CeeDee Lamb are going to now face him twice in Dallas and in Philly. The guy you wanted as fans is now playing in the most hated colors along with the Giants in ever for history. Ever. Hate those guys. And then you guys draft, which he could be very, very good in the future. But what it looks like right now is another version of Nelson Aguilar. A very fast receiver with suspect hands. And also, Justin Jefferson goes behind you. That's going to be frustrating for Eagles fans. Now, Jalen Rager could be the, the best out of those three. But as of right now, Eagles fans are not happy with that, which is another win for the Cowboys. Kyler, Cowboys also got Tyler Baidez. I've never been able to pronounce this dude's name. From Wisconsin. Center from Wisconsin. Just coincidentally, Travis Frederick, center that retired, is from Wisconsin. Went to Wisconsin. Tyler, again, Tyler B, because I can't pronounce Bidays, Bayadays, was a first-round draft pick until, like, a week or so before the combine. Then he just dropped like a rock. And then we never saw him talked about in the first round ever again. It was some injury history that he had, which made him drop. This is a first-round talent you got in, I think, the sixth round. A lot of people thought this guy would go in the first round, like, at the end of the college football season. And then all of a sudden it talked about this guy's not going to go in the first round. He might not even get drafted. Great pick there. Value pick for the Cowboys. They got Nelville Gallimore as well. Trayvon Diggs. Fill a need at corner that he got. That's a good draft. Trayvon Diggs, another player. Talked about in the first round. Neville Gallimore, another player. Talked about in the first round. You drafted four players that I can think of off the top of my head. That had first round grades or had first round talent, and he only got one of them in the first round. That's a good draft. The Cincinnati Bengals were another one. Why? Because they got their quarterback of the future. And not only did they get the quarterback of the future, they got him another weapon in T. Higgins, a guy who he's been working out with. Now, I still think their offensive line's a little suspect. That's why I don't have him at number one or number two or whatever. But you got your quarterback and got him a number one wide receiver for the future. Don't know what the future holds for A.J. Green. But if A.J. Green stays, that's an insane wep- That's an insane arsenal for a young quarterback. Burrow, Joe Mixon, Green, 
Boyd, Higgins. Like, that's awesome. They all can go up and get the ball. That is a great draft pick by the bank. He worked out with Burrow. So they have a chemistry now. They did the same thing when they drafted Andy Dalton. They drafted A.J. Green in the first round, got Andy Dalton in the second round. They got our receiver, now we go get our quarterback. They got our quarterback, now we go get our receiver. Get a guy they build chemistry with. Bengals, though they won, I think, two games this year, one or two games, I can't remember, are not that bad on offense. They have weapons on offense. They do. They do. They didn't have A.J. Green all of last year. They rotated quarterbacks and didn't have their first-round draft pick from last year in Jonah Williams' play at all. If Jonah Williams comes back, there's your blind side. Now you got your quarterback, which Andy Dalton, I think, will stay and back up Burrow, coach up Burrow, familiar with the area, familiar with the league, familiar with the team, coaching staff, be an excellent mentor for Joe Burrow. I think all the makings are there in Cincinnati for him to be a beast in year one. I think it's all set up for him to be an absolute baller in year one. I love it. I love what Joe Burrow's inheriting there. I think Zach Taylor's a very good young head coach. Not very good. A good young head coach. I think the Bengals might be building something here. Look out for the Bengals next year. Not for challenging for Super Bowls, but just challenging more than what they have in the past. Like, what? 30 years, I think it's been since they last won a playoff game. Just look for them to challenge a little bit there. And my last one here, the Arizona Cardinals. uh, Got Isaiah Simmons, who is one of my favorite players in the draft, if not my favorite player in the draft. Pair him with Chandler Jones, the outside rush and the quarterback. There's your edge rush. And in the third round, you got a guy that a lot of people had in the first round and Josh Jones from Houston, who has a ton of experience starting at left tackle for Houston in college. Started 45 games at left tackle. That doesn't come by that often. That is experience that you need to protect your quarterback. You signed DJ Humphrey this offseason to an extension. You got another player to partner with Chandler Jones on the outside. You listed him as an outside linebacker, though he can play everywhere on the defense. And then you got an offensive tackle to protect Kyler Murray, who got sacked 48 times last year. He is a top five mobile quarterback in this league, and he got sacked 48 times. That needs fixed. Josh Jones will help fix that. Cardinals, great draft there. Now, my least favorite draft. Again, I'm not calling this best and worst drafts. I'm saying my favorite and my least favorite. So my favorite out of all the drafts, out of my top five that I listed, is the Minnesota Vikings. My least favorite happens to stick in that division. That is the Green Bay Packers. Now, this is my least favorite for a couple reasons. One, I don't get the drafting of a running back in the third round or second round. You have arguably the best running back duo in the league. Why did you draft running back? And two, and the deepest wide receiver class in NFL history, you didn't draft a wide receiver. You drafted a backup quarterback for the future and a running back. 
that doesn't make sense to me. You have Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and you are blowing his last years. And he's not even that old. Tom Brady's 43. Aaron Rodgers 40, is 36. Drew Brees is in his 40s, too. Big Ben's older. Phillip's older. Look at the teams around them that have older quarterbacks. They didn't go out and draft quarterbacks with their first pick. Colts way to the fourth round. I don't even think the Buccaneers drafted a quarterback. Steelers didn't draft a quarterback that I saw. The Packers drafted one in the first round. And the difference is, A-Rod is not as close to retirement as the other quarterbacks that I mentioned. Brady, Rivers, Roethlisberger, Breeze. Those quarterbacks all retiring in the next two or three years. Breeze are retiring this year. Okay, in one or two years. I think Rivers are retiring this year. Brady and Roethlisberger, I give them two years. They didn't even go out and draft quarterbacks. Rodgers got three or four years left of good play. He could play after that. But you didn't get him any help on offense. The big thing that the Packers needed to address were wide receivers. Rodgers has been well documented that he has one receiver he has faith in. That's Devontae Adams. You could have addressed the wide receiver position in any draft pick you had. But no, you got Jordan Love. I think Jordan Love could turn out to be a great quarterback in this league. I think Rodgers is a very good mentor for him because I think Rodgers plays the exact same way as Jordan Love. Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in avoiding turnovers. He is, I think he has the greatest all-time touchdown turnover ratio in the NFL. He has less interceptions in his career than Jameis Winston had, and I think his first seasons in the NFL, which is ridiculous. Very good quarterback to learn from. Plays the same way. But you didn't get a wider, get Rodgers' help. You don't need to take your quarterback. Look at all the teams I said that are going to have our quarterbacks retire in a year or two. They don't have decent backup options. The Steelers, Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, they're not good. I don't like those guys at all. Brady's got Blaine Gabbert. Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, now Jacob Easton, again, in the fourth round. The Saints, they got Taysom Hill. They just signed to a nice little contract, and they're talks to sign Jameis Winston. So they moved for their future, but they didn't draft a guy in the first round. They're using Breeze's last year to move towards their Super Bowl. You look at the teams the Packers lost to, look at the team the Packers lost in the NFC Championship game, which is their number one target to beat in the NFC. They got better. They got a wide receiver. They got a defensive tackle. They got positions that they needed. What did the Packers do? Got a quarterback for four years down the line and a third-string running back. Not saying they're bad players. I think they're both very, very talented players. But why? It could turn out great for the Packers, though. Maybe they feel like 
he'll build more chemistry with Alan Lazard. Maybe that will happen. Or Martez Valdez-Scantling. Maybe he'll build more chemistry with them. You lost Jimmy Graham this offseason as well. You didn't draft an offensive tackle. You lost Brian Belaga in free agency to the LA Chargers. You didn't place him. You didn't get a wide receiver. You didn't get tackle. You didn't get any linebackers. You need help at linebacker. Maybe you got a linebacker and I just didn't notice. I'm going off memory here. Needed to help out Rodgers. I get your future might be looking good with Jordan Love, but hey. We're in the here and now. You've got to beat the 49ers. You're not going to do that with this roster, especially when the Niners are getting better. Now that I say that, I'm going to play this back in February of next year and the, Cat- the Packers are going to be winning the Super Bowl. But if not... Then we'll just play this clip back and say, this is why you draft position of need. Of need. I don't know. These quarterbacks that are as old as Rodgers or some older are helping their team, their quarterbacks out. What the Buccaneers draft? They drafted Tristan Wirfs. They traded up to get him. The Colts with their first pick. Their first two picks. They got Michael Pittman, a big physical wide receiver, and Jonathan Taylor, one of the best running backs in college football. Like, why didn't you help them out? The the Saints improved their offensive line. You gotta help Rodgers out. I understand the hatred. Like the Packers fans are in droves of hatred for their organization right now, and I feel them. I don't disagree. You're wasting Rodgers. You cannot sit there and go, we have had the two greatest, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and come away with two Super Bowls between them. Those are two of the best quarterbacks of all time. You have a measly two Super Bowls because he never helped them out. There's no reason you guys shouldn't have more than two Super Bowls out of those two quarterbacks. That is a complete waste of talent and a complete lack of awareness. Have fun losing to San Francisco again. Now in the future, Love may turn out to be awesome. A.J. Dillon may turn out to beat out Aaron Jones, who led the league in touchdowns this year, and um, Jamal Williams. Maybe that ends up happening. But with your quarterback now, Aaron Rodgers, top 10 greatest quarterback of all time, you don't give him wide receiver, and you don't improve his offensive line. We go after a backup quarterback who's going to sit behind him for three or four years. Like He's not even going to scare the field unless Rodgers gets hurt. He's not even going to scare the field. I don't even know if his helmet will fit. Like, it, he might even. Wear, I don't even know if he'll need to wear a helmet at practice. You have had two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and you have two Super Bowls between them. Not even like the recent. Rodgers won one in twenty ten. It's twenty twenty. 
Favre won one in the 90s. He left in like 2008. Never helped their quarterbacks out. It's a crying shame that that team doesn't have more Super Bowls. With those two quarterbacks alone. Stupid. How about Rodgers? I don't even like the Packers. This frustrates me. I'm nowhere near Packers. I got family members that are Packers fans. I like Jordan Love. But help Rodgers out for now. I'd be fine with the pick of Jordan Love if you got a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or something like that to help him out. But he didn't take a wide receiver off his line. You took a guy who's going to slide as your third string running back. That doesn't help you out for the here and now. While the 49ers are getting better. The 49ers just traded for Trent Williams. The 49ers just drafted Javon Kinlaw. 49ers just drafted Brandon Ayuk. They're better than they were last year. You did nothing to improve. That's a shame. I feel bad for Packers fans. Not... Again, I'm, I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible because I really like Jordan Love. I think the pick is fine if, as long as they drafted other positions of need throughout the draft, which they did not do. Three or four years, Jordan Love's going to sit. That does not help you out for the hearing. I'm going to say this again. Because it still blows my mind that it's a thing. They have two Super Bowls between Favre and Rodgers. Between the pair of them, they have two Super Bowls. That is ridiculous to think about. That is insane to think about. Man. Think about that for a little bit. As quarterbacks around his age are going to get close to retirement, their teams are helping him out. While the Packers sit there and draft his replacement. If I'm Rodgers, I'm pissed off. And he is pissed off because he's very sensitive about these things. Him and the Packers never had a great relationship in the begin, begin to begin with anyways. So I'm not surprised they picked Love. But what ticks me off for Packers fans and Rodgers, got to help him out. Got to help him out. So we're going to take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman Show. We'll come back, talk about five things I took away from this draft. Uh, my surprises of the draft, Hawkeye watch, and geez, we got a lot more to talk about. I don't think we're going to get into it, but we're going to come back, take a quick break, and I'll see you guys in about two or three seconds for your time. See you in a little bit. All right, everybody, welcome back to the last, I would say, about 20 minutes of this Logan Blackman show. Sunday night edition. Well, I guess now it's technically Monday morning. It's 1213. On March 27th, so or April 20th, geez, I'm, I'm all thrown off my months, days, and weeks now, as I'm sure a lot of people are right now, and yeah, so the reasoning I'm doing, the reason why I'm doing this is because I got plans to do stuff tomorrow, so I'm not going to be able to record the podcast, so I thought I would do it on Sunday night, just like, I can do it after the last dance, because I got a class I got to see tomorrow, and then got a zoom meeting we got to do at class so i gotta watch that and then i'm heading up to cedar falls so i didn't have any time to record this like i don't want to push this till after the show or after the class because then i won't have any time then i'll just be up at cedar falls at like four or something and then i'll or probably like six maybe and then come back and just 
wouldn't be worth it. It would be a pretty dumb trip. So I was like, I'll just do it after the last dance. I'm going to be dead tired. And it was really, really a struggle to get the motivation to do this because, oh my God, my eyes were getting so heavy at the end of the last dance. So I was like, I don't know if I could do this, but I've been chugging water and I've been staying high. I know I'm betting you can notice my voice going in and out. My voice is starting to hurt a lot. I've talked a lot since last Thursday. I've done a lot since last Thursday. I did a four-hour live stream. I did an interview with a class on Thursday. It was like you have to show your website and do an interview style thing with the class. Uh, then I did a radio show on Friday. Then I'm doing a show right now today at post 10 o'clock. So my voice is a little dry. My voice is pretty much gone at this point. I don't have a cough. I don't have anything like that. It's not COVID if you're anyone to worry about that. But it's just a struggle. My voice is killing right now. So here we went over, first off, we went over my favorite and least favorite drafts. We did top five for favorites. Only did one for least favorite. So now let's look at the top five things I took away from the 2020 NFL draft. Starting at number one. This isn't like ranked of what I my favorite things are. It was just ranked out of what popped in my head. Uh, number one, the Patriots have somewhat faith in Jarrett Stidham. Or they're going out to get Jay, uh, Cam Newton or something. Which I don't think Cam Newton's going to New England. He doesn't fit what New England wants to do. Jarrett Stidham, for those of you who don't remember, was a very good college quarterback at Baylor and then Auburn. He had very good success at both schools, passing yard-wise. And then goes to the NFL and falls in the draft. But if he went out this year, he would have been the fourth, the fifth quarterback off the board, maybe fourth. He's talented. I think people forget that. Because he's a later draft pick. I think he has the talent to be a starter in the NFL. And the Patriots showed that they have at least somewhat faith in him by not even drafting a quarterback. In the draft. They took a kicker in the draft before they took a quarterback. Which, to be honest, they did need a kicker. They cut Steven Goskowski. So, they needed one, to be fair to them. But they didn't take a quarterback. I thought Jake Fromm would fit what they did perfectly, but he ended up going to Buffalo. Which surprised me, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. And surprises of the draft. But yeah, they have somewhat faith in Stidham. And I'm cool with that. They signed Brian Hoyer. Experience with the Patriots offense. And yeah. Either they have faith in Stidham or they're going after to get someone like Jacoby Brissett, which I could totally see. Former Patriots quarterback knows what they would do. And the reports have been that he'll somehow find his way back to New England. They drafted Jacob Eason. I could see Jacoby Brissett going back to New England. But if not, Jared Stidham, I think I think he could be the guy. Good job on the Patriots on showing they have somewhat faith in him there. Uh, Number two, the Bengals showed their commitment to Joe Burrow. And I know this is a little stupid because, of course, they're going to show commitment to their strategy. They drag guy first overall. That you still need to show commitment. Some teams don't even show commitment to their quarterbacks even after however long they've been there. Could be 13 years or something they still don't show commitment to them. But they showed commitment by getting a guy he has worked out with in T. Higgins. They have weapons for him on offense. They have a left tackle that didn't play all season last year. Which is the reason why their offensive line struggled a little bit. They have a quarterback there that is familiar with all the surroundings that he's going to have to deal with. He's going to have 
he's gonna be success. I eat. I don't want to jinx it, because I really like the dude. But I think he's gonna be a success in Cincinnati. On offense, they've got pieces that are really, really good. Higgins, Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Jonah Williams in his first year starting at left tackle because he didn't play, again he didn't play all last year. Andy Dalton, who guy who's been in Cincinnati, has been in the NFL, knows the coaching staff, has played the position before. To coach up Joe Burrow, I think it's a perfect situation for Joe Burrow to go into and learn from. Coming off the greatest college season a quarterback has ever had. The greatest season any college quarterback has ever had. Bar none. No one can convince me otherwise that their quarterback's been better for a season than what Joe Burrow did last year. And LSU's team, side note, had 14 players drafted. Every draft-eligible player from that LSU team got drafted. Which not only says how great Joe Burrow was, how great that team was. I said this on On Press Row right after the National Championship game, and I think I said it on the Logan Blackman show, but I don't remember because that was a long time ago. That is the greatest college team of all time. Greatest quarterback, greatest college team of all time. If any other team had their schedule, they had a less than a percent chance of going undefeated. It was like one point something percent chance of going undefeated. LSU did that. I had conversations with my friends that LSU is the best team in the country. And they just would say nothing about it. When we watched the National Championship game, they all said Clemson. It's like, I'm going to LSU. I said this midseason. I'll say it now. And that's what happened. Greatest team in college football history. And two of their best players weren't even draft eligible this year. In Jamar Chase and Stingley, the corner. We have even, They have even more players there. Quarterback's going to be rough. Don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. And I don't know what they're going to do at running back with Clyde Edwards-Lair. And I think their entire offensive line has gone too. So I don't really know what they're going to do on offense besides Chase. But we'll have to see. See if they can repeat what they did last year. Uh, Number three, the Broncos may shock some teams this season. They got weapons for Drew Locke. They got weapons for Drew Locke. They got a big knee for the Broncos. And what was widely talked about going into this draft was they need to get more weapons on the outside. They had Corlin Sutton, and that was it. I'm not counting Noah Fant next. He's a tight end. I'm talking about wide receivers. They got Jerry Judy, who a lot of people had as the best wide receiver in the draft without having to trade up to get him at 15. Then they got speed. Killer speed from KJ Hamler in the second round. So now you got your number one, number two, and a slot guy. And then you have Noah Fant there. And then you have Drew Locke's tight end, Albert O from Missouri, at tight end, as another tight end. So now you have a weapon that he's familiar with at tight end to add with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton, to add with Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. And also, not even mention the running backs, Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay back there as well. The Broncos have a very talented offense on paper. We don't know how it's going to work out, though. But on paper, this should not fail. This is a very, very talented offense. They brought in, I was it Schumer they're bringing in as offensive coordinator? He had very good success as an offensive coordinator in Minnesota. Maybe he'll bring that back to Denver. So we'll see what that goes on there. 
I think there's just too much success for this offense not to be a really good offense this year. Uh, number four, the Panthers are committed to defense. Every single draft pick they used was on defense. The Panthers gave up the second worst points per average in the league behind Miami. They had the second worst or top five worst rush defense in the league. What'd they do? They drafted seven defensive players. They didn't draft a single offensive player that entire draft. Here's their picks. First round, Derek Brown. Second round, your tier gross mottos. Second round again, Jeremy Chin, safety. Fourth round, Troy Pride, corner. Fifth round, Kenny Robinson, safety. Sixth round, Bravion Roy from Baylor, D-tackle. In seventh round, Stanley Stanley Thomas Oliver, cornerback in the seventh. First off, your top three picks are all first-round talent. That's an A-plus draft right there. Derek Brown, your tier gross models, and Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin was, by some, by most accounts, the second-best safety in the draft by a lot of people. It was either him or Grant Delpit. Dugar was kind of building up steam late, and he's a very, very Patriots-style pick. Kyle Dugar from Lenore Ryan was kind of on the border of being a first-round pick. But you didn't really hear him talk. It was McKinney, number one, unquestioned, then Chin and Delpit with Rotate, and then it was Kyle Duger. But Gross Matos is a first-round talent, and same with Chin. Great. You're committed to defense to improve that thing, to get that thing better. Hopefully it does improve. You got Teddy Bridgewater. You got Chris McCaffrey. You got DJ Moore on the outside. You got Robbie Anderson from the Jets. You got Russell Kung from the Chargers. Your offense is decent. You got a top five player in the league in Chris McCaffrey. You just need to improve your defense. They did that. Got every pick they used was on defense. Seven picks, seven defenders. And number five, Daniel Jeremiah is the best in the business. Before, I mean, I've known this for a while because when I'm watching draft coverage, all I watch is the NFL Network. I don't watch ESPN. I don't go to bootleg websites like Walter Camp and all that stuff. I use the NFL Network. I use Daniel Jeremiah, and I use Bucky Brooks and Peter Schrager to judge what I – to see if I'm thinking the right things. Daniel Jeremiah is the best in the business. You can even see that on ESPN. Listen to him talk about draft picks compared to, my, to Mel Kuyper. He's a former scout. That's why he knows what to look for, what NFL teams are looking for. He has friends that are in front offices. He was the first person to put Mekhi Becton in the top 10, let alone top five when he added number four to the Giants in his first mock draft. And that's when everybody started talking about Mekhi Becton. People listen to Daniel Jeremiah. It was Mike Mayock before him. Now it's Daniel Jeremiah. That's why Mike Mayock's a GM now. DJ is the best draft expert in the business. It's not even really close. Uh, those are my top five things I learned in the draft or things I noticed. Here's some surprises. Uh, at first, Jalen Hurts going to Philly. That surprised me quite a bit, to be honest. But I could see what their thinking is. Carson Wentz gets injured a lot. Jalen Hurts is a very, very good number two option for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they could do some Taysom Hill-style offensive packages with him. 
So he's very similar to Taysom Hill. And I think he could be a very good number two option or a one-two punch because the Eagles apparently are doing wanting to do some dual quarterback systems. So we'll see what the Eagles do. We will see what the Eagles do because it should be an interesting one there in Philly to see how these two quarterbacks coexist. Uh, the Patriots, I mentioned them earlier, but surprised they didn't draft a quarterback. I found that very surprising. Again, I was pissed off that I even thought of the idea of having them trade up for a quarterback because, one, Justin Herbert was going to fall to 14, and, two, they never trade up. But I thought they would take Jake Fromm at some point. I was dead set on the Patriots taking Jake Fromm at some point. But it didn't happen. They didn't even take a quarterback. That surprised me. Uh, Josh Jones falling to the third round. Same with Zach Bond. Kind of surprised me. Um, I get Jones isn't as athletic, but he has experience. He played 70 or 45 games at left tackle at Houston. I thought that would build some kind of number for him, but great pick by the Cardinals. And then Zach Bond, a very athletic linebacker from Wisconsin. I mean, I'm not surprised he fell to the, out of the first round, but falling all the way third, I thought was a little uh, much. I had him going early second. But third was a little low. I get the diluted sample thing, but he's an athletic guy, and I think he'll fit in well there. Uh, Jacob Eason falling to the fourth. This one's kind of surprising, kind of not. I had him going early second round to the Colts in one of their first two picks, but the Colts got him in the fourth. Great value pick for the Indianapolis Colts. I love value picks. Got him in the fourth. Could have gotten him in the second. Used their fourth round pick on him. Still got him. And I think the big reason they fall, I know, I know, is the consistency issues in the fourth, is completion percentage in the first quarter, 73%. After that, in the fourth, is 58%. That's a huge drop-off. And the fact that he only played one year in college, like a full year. He got played a little bit his first year, got beat out his second, and then transferred to Washington and played one year. Big arm, might have some personality issues, tra- attitude traits, Work ethic's a concern, so it's not that big of a surprise, but it's a little surprise, nonetheless. Speaking on quarterbacks, and we talked about him getting beat out, Jake Fromm going to Buffalo, which kind of surprised. Doesn't fit what the Bills are wanting to do with their quarterbacks, but he's a very similar type quarterback to Matt Barkley. Get Josh a little bit more security. I don't, don't read too much into this. This isn't a quarterback to challenge Josh. This is a guy to add stability behind him and push him at practice and stuff like that. And also surprised on from James Morgan, the FIU quarterback, going before him. Now, if you look at Eason and Morgan, they have the physical traits. They're big and they have strong arms. But from beat out Eason in college and went to a national championship is way more accurate than those two, but doesn't have the size of the arm. Big arm can only take you so far. So, look at Jamarcus Russell and Jeff George. But, yeah, I, I, it's just weird for me to see Fromm drop below two guys that I expected Easton to go before him, but it's just weird to think about that he did because of Fromm beating him out. But it's not what the NFL looks for in quarterbacks. Smaller hands, not, as not a cannon arm. 
But when I look at it, he won in college. He beat out Eason. He's a leader. He's very accurate. I don't know. It's just weird. He did have a little bit of a fall off his last year, but whatever. And my final surprise is KJ Hill falling all the way to the seventh round. He's one of the, I, I think he might be. I'm not sure. If, I need to fact check this. The all-time leader in catches at Ohio State. How did he fall to the seventh round? I'm confused. Chargers released a very funny video after they took after they took him, but it just surprised me that he fell all the way to the seventh. And we just got a little bit of time left in today's show. Try to wrap this up here. So we'll talk about this. Um, the Iowa Hawkeyes had a draft. There were a lot of Hawkeyes taken in the draft. There were five Iowa Hawkeyes taken in the first or the this round. No Iowa State Cyclones. No Drake Bulldogs, no UNI Panthers, but five Hawkeyes. It goes with Tristan Wirfs going pick 15 to Tampa. AJ Epineza, 54 to Buffalo. Michael Ojemudia to pick 77 to Denver. Geno Stone, 219 to Baltimore. And Nate Stanley going number 244 to the Minnesota Vikings. So we'll see how all those guys do. We'll be tracking their success as we move on. Throughout the careers of non-Iowa quarterbacks, he didn't go to college in Iowa, but former Johnston quarterback Reed Sinnott signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One of my former high school teammates, he was a senior when I was a junior, uh, we were in Dragon TV together, did the Daily Show together, he did was like the main anchor, I was a sports guy, and we played football together, and I remember my first varsity game, I was... We're going in. I was playing garbage time. Uh, we were beating Urbandale pretty bad. Reed was going out. So I was warming up on the sideline. And Reed comes over to me and says, So, Logan, I heard you're going in. Just, uh, yeah, just don't fumble. You should be fine. Then I walked away. It was just something I thought was funny. He was trying to calm me down a little bit, try to make me laugh before I went in because I was nervous. First varsity game at a, at a place where I knew a lot of people were going to be at. Have a lot of people I know from church that go to Urbandale or from Urbandale. I'm from Urbandale. So we have people there. And Reed just calmed me down a little bit. We had fun at practices. We talked a lot while we were in high school, while we were in Dragon TV. And it's just really cool that he gets an opportunity to learn from Tom Brady. And for those people that got undrafted, there are 14 number one overall picks in the first round in the hall of fame. There are 17 undrafted free agents in the hall of fame. So for those of you that didn't get drafted and Reed is one of them played high school football with him undrafted. You can still make it to the hall of fame. Kurt Warner, Tony Romo, all these guys, quarterbacks, Warren moon hall of famers. Well, maybe not Tony Romo, but moon and Kurt Warner hall of famers. So even if you don't get drafted, you are always still there for the Hall of Fame. If you can play, they'll find you. So yeah, congratulations to everyone that got drafted in this year's 2020 NFL Draft. Look forward to monitoring your monitoring, monitoring your futures as you move forward in the NFL. Whether you're a first-round pick, Mr. Relevant, or undrafted, you are now in the NFL family. And I'm sitting here in my basement at one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, 
talking about you. So congratulations to everybody that got their opportunities, got their dreams made. And while I'm done here, you guys are not done. Keep on grinding, doing your thing. And I will see all of you on Wednesday. Have a good day and peace.